right, well, if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open to John chapter 11. John 11 is where we'll be. We're uh, continuing our series uh, that's titled, Who is Jesus? And I really appreciate um, uh, the song that we just sang, uh, talking about Jesus and what he did and who he is and all of those things. And um, I think it's just fitting that it leads up to what I'm getting ready to spend the next few minutes talking about. Because uh, as you know, we have been spending this year, 2019, trying to go deep. or trying to go deeper in our understanding of different things. Trying to understand who God is. Trying to understand more of who Jesus is. And we've done this by looking at the names of God. We've done this by wrestling with this question, who is Jesus? A question that even his closest followers struggled with at times. And we're going to see that, that they did that again today as we get into this story. But it's not just a struggle for them then, it's a struggle for a lot of people today. Wondering who Jesus is. Is he really who he says he is? Or is he a liar, as others claim? Or is he a lunatic that even his family said at times he was? Who is Jesus? And so that's where we are. And as you know, for the last several weeks, we have been allowing Jesus the opportunity to have first shot at this question, to talk about who he is. And so he's shared that with us, that he is the light of the world, that he is the bread of life, that he is the door that He is the Good Shepherd. And today we're asking again, who is Jesus? And He is going to reveal to us another, another avenue, another layer of who He is. Well, when was the last time, when was the last time that you made an if-only statement? Or you asked a, a what-if type of, of question? You know, if only we hadn't spent that money. If only I had worked a little harder than. Or if only I hadn't spent so much time focusing on my career, then maybe I wouldn't have lost, you know, my family. Or if she'd only waited five more minutes to leave. If I hadn't gone out of town. If I had only taken that job. You know, whatever it is. I think a lot of us can relate to the, the sickening sense of wanting to turn back the clock. And many times our misunderstanding a situation in the present moment causes us to later on ask these types of questions. In John chapter 11, Jesus is just days away from going to the cross. His, his impending death is imminent and he knows that is coming. And yet, people, his disciples, his own apostles are still kind of asking the question, who is Jesus? Not so much with their words, but we see that their misunderstanding is revealed in their actions and revealed in the way that they kind of respond to him. And we'll see that again today in this chapter. Now, we're not going to look at it all, but it's a story that we're very familiar with. It's the story of Jesus and, and Lazarus. 
one of Jesus' closest friends that happens in a village where Jesus spent a lot of time in the town of Bethany. And the chapter opens up and it's, it's Jesus getting word from two of his other close friends, Mary and Martha, who are the sisters of Lazarus. And they send Jesus this message saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now then watch verse 4. When Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God might be revealed through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. Now then watch verse 6. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place he was. Does that sound like the right response to that kind of news? You know, what do we do when we find out that someone is gravely ill? We drop everything, right? We rush to their bedside, whether it be in their home or their hospital. We call, we send a casserole, we do whatever it is we have to do to let them know that we're here. We're praying, we're with you. How can we help? How can we serve? Jesus gets the news that his friend Lazarus, the one he loves, is sick and doesn't rush off down to Bethany. He decides to wait two more days. Now, I don't know about you, but there is a question there that is begging to be asked. Why did Jesus wait two more days? Was it was like, eh, I'll get there eventually. It'll be all right. You know, was it like he just had all of these other things that he had this, this pressing schedule? You know, that he just put it off or he, maybe he thought it wasn't as serious as it turned out it was going to be? Oh, I don't think it was that at all. I think the reason that Jesus waits, and I'm going to circle back around to this at the end, is that I think Jesus is inviting his followers to trust in him, to believe in him, to believe who he is. You see, here's the thing. If we are followers of Jesus, if we are going to to be his disciples, we're going to do the things that Jesus has asked us to do, then Jesus wants us to trust Him as well, right? But what we don't often understand is that our timetable and God's timetable don't often match up. You know what I'm talking about? Because when we ask for something, we want it done yesterday. Do we not? We live in a microwave, fast food, high-speed internet society. Okay, we don't even have to go outside to shop anymore. We can sit in our living room in our PJs and order stuff on the computer and it will be brought to the front door. Okay, I mean, it is that simple. And if you're an Amazon Prime customer, you can get it in less than 24 hours. Okay, I am one. I know that. I get stuff in less than 24 hours all the time. You know why? Because I got tired of waiting three days for it. Okay? I mean, that's the world we live in. Lazarus is sick, Lord. The one you love, your friend. He's sick. Come quick. And Jesus waits two more days. 
And I think at least part of that reason is he is inviting his disciples and he is inviting us to trust him. You know, and and that's another question, maybe for another time, but just kind of put it in the back of our, our minds. Are we really willing to trust Jesus all the time? Especially when it doesn't make sense. Because that right there doesn't make sense. Right? Somebody's sick. We got to go to them. We got to help them. We got to be there for them. We got to meet those needs. But he waits. He waits two more days. And then he says something that his guys think is absolutely crazy. He waits two days and he says, let's go to Judea again. And they're like, wait, wait a minute. Do you not remember what just happened the last time we were there? Do you not remember that whole thing where where they wanted to stone you? Do you not remember where they wanted to kill you and now you want to go back there? Lord, this is not the best idea you had today. Okay, why do you want to go back to a place where they just recently tried to kill you? You know, I mean, that's a pretty good rule of life, right? I mean, I generally don't go back to places where they try to kill me, right? Uh, You know, that's why I came back here, because you haven't tried to kill me yet. Okay, I could have stayed in Europe, okay? But no, I felt comfortable coming home because, I, you know, nobody here is after me as far as I'm aware of. Jesus wants to go back to Judea where they just tried to, to kill him. And they're saying, wait a minute, why, why do we need to do that? And he gives them a kind of confusing answer about day and night and all this stuff. And they still don't get it. And verse 11 says, he said this to them. He said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. And they're like, well, Lord, just tell him to get up. They misunderstand what he's saying. They misunderstand it, understood it totally. So in verse 13, he says, you know, he's speaking about his death, but they misunderstand it. They thought he was talking about natural sleep. So in verse 14, Jesus says, he told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Lazarus is dead. That's the real reason why we're going back to Judea. That's why I'm willing to risk my own life, my own safety. Oh, and yours too, by the way. And go down to be with Lazarus. Because Lazarus is dead. Mary and Martha, they need us. And so, and so we're going. And he says, you know what? I'm glad that I wasn't... I'm, I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. Indicating, look, you guys still don't understand who I am. I'm glad that you're, you're having to wait this out. You're having to feel this tension because you still don't get it. You still don't understand who I am and, and what I've come to do. So I'm glad that you're going to have to go through this with me. Then Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, well, let's go too so that we may die with him. Isn't that a great statement? Well, all right, well, let's go too. We can just die while we're there. You know, and what do we know about Thomas? What is Thomas's, what is his moniker that gets hung on him all the time? We call him what? Thomas. Doubting Thomas. You know, and I don't know that that is necessarily a fair name for Thomas. Okay, now why do we call him doubting? Because all the others, they saw Jesus post-resurrection. 
And he said, unless what? Unless I see it. Okay, unless I see the nail prints and I see the scar in his side where he was pierced, I'm not going to believe. I think Thomas is just asking for more evidence. Okay, he's probably a five on the Enneagram. Okay, he needs that, that evidence. But here, really what we see is I see a tough faith in Thomas. While he kind of just throws out like, all right, well, let's just go die with him. Really, I think what he is saying is that, okay, this may go really bad, and I still don't really understand who you are, but I'm still willing to trust you, Jesus. You know, and so I I see a, a strong faith in Thomas, willing to follow Jesus, even though he doesn't fully understand who Jesus is, even though he doesn't fully understand what is going to happen, and even though following Jesus back down to Judea, to Bethany, could end up in his own death, he's still willing to go. And, and, and to me, Thomas is a great example of the kind of faith we should have. That we should be willing to follow, we should be willing to follow Jesus in this way. And so they take off. Now then notice verse 17. And this is where it gets really, really interesting right here. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha and Mary, or excuse me, as soon as Martha heard the news that Jesus was coming... She went to meet him, but Mary remained in the house. Then notice verse 21. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if, and then I've kind of put the only in there because I think it's an understood. If only you had been here, what? My brother wouldn't have died. If you would have just been here. If you'd have come sooner. If only this, if only you had come as soon as you got the message, then maybe my my brother would have died. And we see that here Martha is misunderstanding. She doesn't fully understand who Jesus is, even though she's one of his close, close companions. Jesus has stayed in her house. Okay, Jesus has sat in her house, in her home, and eaten her food and taught others. She knows who Jesus is, yet she doesn't know who Jesus is. If only, Lord, if only you'd have been here, if only you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And yet she continues in 22, yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So she still has, she still, still displays this, this little bit of faith. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I, I know that he will rise again at the resurrection the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And that's a, that's a serious question that Jesus is asking. 
He says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you will not die. Do you believe it? Do you really believe it? Because let's be honest, when when tragedy and, and crisis hit, sometimes it's tough to believe. Am, am I right? Does, has anybody else experienced that or am I the only one? Okay, because there are times when things happen and you and I both know things happen. There are times when it can be tough. Okay, and to, to, to not acknowledge that, I think, is not being honest before people and not being honest before God. And so I think maybe that's what's going on with Martha. Lord, if you had only been here, I know you could have done it. I know you've, you've healed people. I've heard the stories. I've seen you do it. If only you would have got here sooner. He wouldn't have died. But I, I know he's going to rise. I know he's going to rise at the, at the resurrection. I've always believed that. And then Jesus is saying, yeah, but Martha, you, you don't understand. I am the resurrection i am that life and if you believe that you can have that too don't you don't you believe this yes lord she told him i believe you are the messiah the son of god who comes into the world warren wearsby says this With this statement, the statement being, I am the resurrection and the life. With this statement, Jesus took the doctrine of the resurrection out of a book and he put it into a person himself. And he goes on, he says, we're not saved by the doctrine in the book. We're saved by the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Now that's important, right? That's very important. Now I'm not knocking doctrine. Don't misunderstand me. But knowing about Jesus is not going to save you. What's going to save us is knowing Jesus. Right? Okay. When we go to a doctor or when we get sick, we go to a doctor, not a medical book. Well, maybe we do. We go to, we go to uh, WebMD. But for the most part, when we're really, really, really sick, we go to a doctor. We need We need a doctor. Okay? When we're being sued, we don't need a law book. What we need is a lawyer. You're someone who practices law and knows how to deal with that kind of stuff. Okay? So it makes sense that when we face our last enemy, the last enemy of death, what we want, what we need is a Savior. Not just the doctrine about the Savior. We need The Savior. That's who we need. You see, and this is what Martha has standing right in front of her. She has the the Savior. The one who created life. The one who created life can surely restore life. Martha's looking to the future. And and that's fine. That's great. She has a hope. I mean, she says, I know that... That in the last day that he's going to be resurrected. But Jesus has just moved the doctrine of resurrection out of the future 
and into the present right where he was. And the good news is, the good news is that this resurrection power was not available only then, that it's available now. That resurrection power was not just available to Martha and not just available to Mary and not just available to Lazarus and anybody else that happened to be standing around when all this takes place. Resurrection power is available right now here in 2019 to you and I. When Jesus asked Martha if she believes, he's asking her if she believes that she can experience resurrection in the present moment, not just in the future. Jesus is asking the very same thing of us. Do you believe? Do you believe that you right now can experience resurrection power? Do we believe that we don't have to fear death and dying? Do we believe that if our lives are aligned with Jesus, then just as Tommy read for us a few minutes ago at communion, that nothing can separate us from His love? Do we believe that come what may, whether crisis, death, divorce, failure, calamity, that if we have Jesus, we have resurrection power? Do we believe we can experience this life now? Because with Jesus, you can. We can experience resurrection life, resurrection power here and now. Romans 6, 4 that I'm going to mention in just a few minutes ago is going to talk about that. But that resurrection power in life is standing right there in front of her. He gets there. Word gets to Mary that Jesus is there. Drop down to verse 20, 20, uh, 32. Rather. As soon as Mary came out to where Jesus was and saw Him, she fell at His feet and told Him, look what she says, Lord, if You had been here. There it is again, that if only kind of statement. If You had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Now then your version may say deeply moved, but you also might have a footnote. Or your version may actually translate it this way. It might say that, that he was angry. Okay? He's angry at this, at this whole kind of situation, everything that's going on, and they... He, uh, he asks, where have you put him? Where is Lazarus? Lord, they told him, come and see. And then one of the most emotionally charged verses in the entire Scripture is stated for us. Verse 35. Jesus wept. Two Two words. Jesus wept. And it's one of the most powerfully moving verses in all of, all of Scripture. Because the emotion stirring in Jesus is tremendous. 
Because he's, he's, he's dealing with the misunderstanding of who he is by nearly everybody. He's battling and, and, and experiencing the sorrow of, of his dear friends, Mary and Martha, who have lost their brother. He's battling his own sorrow over the loss of his friend Lazarus. He's battling the anger, and I think that's why anger is in there as well. He's, he's, he's feeling anger at the, the tyranny that sin and death causes to people because death is the result ultimately of sin. Sin brought death into the world because God is not the author of death. Right? Come on now. God's not the author of death. God's the author of life. Okay, and so when people die, we ultimately need to be mad at sin because that's where it comes from. Death's not part of God's plan. But it's because we live in a broken world. And so Jesus is angry about that because sin has, has broken the world. It's taken the life of his friend Lazarus. Not only that, he also has the emotion of knowing that he's getting ready to experience the exact same thing. Because he is just days from the cross. The long shadow that the cross has been casting is not long anymore. It's in front of him. It's inevitable. It is going to happen. And so all of this moves Jesus with compassion. You know, if you've, you've, you've studied that before, and I've talked about that before, um, when, when Jesus talk, when it talks of Jesus being filled with compassion, it speaks of, of the bowels, of, of, of feeling it in the gut. It's a gut response. Okay? And this compassion, all of this, this anger, this sadness, this apprehension of what he is going to have to do, all of this moves Jesus to weep over this situation. So the Jews said, see... See how he loved him? Couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept a man from dying? Of course he could. But they still don't get it. They still misunderstand who he is. Verse 38, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb... It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, who is probably a one on the Enneagram, by the way. Martha, the dead man's sister, says, Lord, wait, there's already a stench because he's been in there for four days. Okay? Death in this day is different from death in our day. Okay? We can go months before we have a burial. Okay? Because of embalming techniques and preserving techniques. And we, we go to death, or we, we go to burial a lot of times in a more unnatural state than if we were just to die. Right? We, we preserve the bodies to just stay preserved long after they've been underground. Okay? But in Jesus' day and age, guess what? You died one day, you were buried that same day. Why? Because you're going to stink. Okay? And so it's important to get them prepared, to get them wrapped, 
to get them anointed, to get the spices tucked within the, the layers of the, of, of the wrapping and get them buried, get the tomb sealed so that the stench, the odor, the offense, all of that stuff is, is not there. You're sparing the family from that. And so here Jesus is four days in saying, open the tomb and Martha is about to lose it because she knows as soon as that thing is rolled away, what is going to come out in her mind is not her brother. What's going to come out is the stench of her brother's decaying body. Why? Because she still doesn't fully get it. Jesus turns to her and says, didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you'd see the glory of God? Verse 41, so they removed the stone. And guess what? There was no stench. There was no smell. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe that you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips with his face wrapped in cloth. And Jesus said to him, unwrap him and let him go. What came out of that tomb was not the stench of death but it was resurrection power and life in the form of Lazarus. And you see what that is? There not being a smell is confirmation that God has heard him. Jesus didn't just blow into town two days later because he had nothing else to do. Jesus is talking to God about what's got to happen when he gets there. Talking about Lazarus. God, work through this. Bring about your glory in all of this. Remember what he said, this sickness is not going to end in death, but it's going to bring glory to God. Jesus never did a miracle that benefited himself. Everything he did was all about glorifying God. All about advancing the kingdom of God. And he says, remove the stone. Lazarus come out and Lazarus steps forth out of the grave, called back into life. Resurrection life, resurrection power is on full display. And he says, let him go. And they do. This is the last public miracle that Jesus can perform. In fact, you drop on down a little bit further and it says, from that day on, they plotted to kill him. And it got so bad that he could no longer walk openly among the Jews, but he had to move out into the wilderness. And he stayed out there. He stayed out there with his disciples. So we ask ourselves again. We ask the question that we've been asking for the last several weeks. Who is Jesus? He is the creator of life and the conqueror of death 
who offers us resurrection power in the here and now. That's who Jesus is. And it's available to all who would seek it. All who would, all would, all who would believe in Him. You see, Jesus, Jesus challenges Martha to trade her if only for an if Jesus. If Jesus if Jesus is who she's coming to believe He is, if Jesus is the Messiah, the one promised by the prophets to come into the world, if Jesus is the resurrection in person, you see, Jesus challenges us to believe too. He challenges us to believe that He is the one promised by the prophets who would come into the world and take on all the sin of humanity. He challenges us to believe that He is the Messiah, that He is the Son of God. He challenges us to believe that He is resurrection in person, that He is life come to life. And He challenges us to believe that He is the Creator of life and the conqueror of death. Jesus is that. He is the Creator of life. He is the conqueror of death who offers resurrection power here and now. Jesus is asking us to step out on faith, to trust in Him, to trust in His plan, to trust in His timing. And so maybe you today need to trade an if only for an if Jesus. This is the one that you have standing in front of you today. You have the Savior who created life And God's resurrection power is available to you now. Romans 6, 4 says, Therefore we were buried with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way. Resurrection power is available for you and me today.